Hello, everybody, and welcome to Navigating the Noise, a podcast series brought to you by CHPA, the Corporate Housing Providers Association. I'm Brian David Johnson, your futurist and host for the podcast. Welcome to episode two of Navigating the Noise, where we're going to explore the future of work. Now, the future of work is a pretty massive subject, and so we'll dig into and explore other aspects of the future of work in later episodes. But today, we're going to look at two specific topics about which there is a lot of noise, artificial intelligence and data science. We're going to look into what will their effects be on the future of corporate housing and long-term rentals. What's the reality and what's the hype? And most importantly, what do you really need to do to prepare for them? As we do in all of our episodes, we'll examine our subject from multiple angles, getting different perspectives and ideas, both in general and also some specific things when it comes to the future of corporate housing and longer-term rentals. The podcast is broken into three segments. The first segment, which is the road ahead, is where I explore my futures research, looking outside the industry at the bigger picture, getting in an outside perspective from an expert. In the next segment, we bring in Marianne Passy, the CEO of CHPA, and we discuss the implications of these futures, both on the industry and also with industry leaders in our section called What Matters. And finally, we discuss the pragmatic steps you can take today to prepare for the future in our final segment called Three Things to Do. So with that, let's get started. As we look to the road ahead, we see that not only are corporations going to be changing, as we discussed in episode one, but how the corporations work, how we work, will change in the future. Now, this is a large area for discussion, and we'll come back to it again in upcoming episodes. But today, we're going to focus on data science, predictive analytics, and artificial intelligence, often called AI. These topics have a lot of noise. There's a lot of people talking about them now, and there's a whole bunch of noise around it. But we want to really dive into to say, well, what's the reality? What's the reality, and what does it mean for the future of work, how corporations work, how clients work, and how all of us will work in the future? Now, I do want to say we're not going to use our time together to define these technologies. Um, what we're going to do is we'll put some links on the website to some good overviews. So if you really want to dig into the technologies and how these are enabled, we'll make sure you can go there and do it. But we're going to use our time today to explore the effects that these technologies might have on how we work. What will it be like to be a person and work in this future? Because of these advances in these technologies, it, we believe that it means that the number of people needed to do traditional repeatable tasks are going to drop. Now, this could mean that we'll be able to do a lot more work, the traditional work that we're doing now, but with less people. And artificial intelligence, these predictive analytics, are actually going to start taking some of those re repeatable tasks and allow us to free people up. Now, I want to put forward that in a world where machines do more of the work, people, actual human beings, will become even more important. Human-to-human -human interaction will become a premium, not to mention the value of face-to-face -face interaction. But what's the reality of this? Are the machines really going to take our jobs? To explore this, I've invited a guest on the show who's working in an industry at the forefront of these technologies. 
Now, Alida Drought joins us from San Francisco, where she is Capital One's first futurist and an ecosystem designer. She is also a futurist at Arizona State University's Threat Casting Lab, an author as well as a nationally recognized speaker on strategic foresight. Welcome, Allie. Hi, Brian. Great to be with you. So, Allie, to kick us off, tell us a little bit how foresight in the financial sector overlaps with the future of work. What's the reality around data science and predictive analytics and even AI? What do you think it means to the future of work? Sure. So, you know, right now, instead of looking broadly across all of these different sectors, as you mentioned, I'm looking at financial industry, which is really highly regulated um, and looking at how we can start to use you know, automated or at least semi-predictive systems to help uh, at least advance the way that we're working internally. But the reality is right now, you know, people, you know, us, you and I are still doing a lot of the manual lifting. So we wanted to create something that would help come background a lot of the complexity that's happening in these systems that we already have uh, in order to kind of make things a little bit lighter on the human users. So these systems may be based on the information we already have about our employees, um, particularly in large corporations. You know, my corporation is 46,000 people. That's a lot of data. We've got a lot of data to work with. But it will start streamlining our work um, to background some of that, you know, really kind of mundane, repeatable stuff that machines are good at and increase our efficiency and effectiveness as humans. So these predictive or at least some predictive systems to say, hey, let's pull this data about who you are, what you're working on, you know, what kinds of things and data sets you've already used, and then use that to surface things that are new and relevant for your job. So um, we can start making participatory roles for these kind of automated and, and just not quite AI, but almost um, intelligent systems that will lead to some pretty big shift in how we engage with our work, both as the type and the style of work. So we're making it um, easier to do work for humans. It's like the, the biggest value. But we're also investing a lot of time and energy in making these systems that work in a networked and distributed way to inform and really partner with the humans that they're, I hate to use where I'm going to use it, serving. You know, they kind of like serving up information and context for people to do our jobs better. So it's super cool. So if I'm hearing you right, so in the work that you're doing now, in the work that you see in the future, it's not so much about the machines sort of taking all of the tasks and machines doing everything. It's really using machines often behind the scenes in a way in the service of human beings and then allowing the human beings to focus on new tasks or allowing human beings to do things that are more important and really having that sort of collaborative collaboration between the technologies and the people again, freeing folks up. But I want to ask you this. So how do you think that will impact sort of how we work as people? So as a worker in the future, you've got all this technology behind you. You've got the predictive analytics and the big data and maybe some AI. And so it's allowing you to do stuff. But what, what will that mean? What will that mean? And what will it be like to be a human and work in the future? Yeah, it's such an interesting question. And it's one that's been hotly debated over the last few years. Um, you know, it's so interesting as, as, as we build these kind of systems that can background complexity, we're allowing this unique human value to really shine. Um, and the other side of that, though, is that people are like, oh, my gosh, well, will I have more free time now? You know, what will I do with it? And so we're creating these systems and technology that on the surface allow us to, quote, unquote, you know, have more free time. But that's not a new promise. 
Um, I can think back to a few hilarious in my mind now advertisements, um, you know, early cellular providers promising like the future of work is sending a fax from the beach, like this wild idea of on vacation, you can like be on this lovely beach and you're going to want to send a fax. <laughs> like that, that's so <laughs> hilarious in our minds right now. Um, and in reality, what's happening with these intelligent systems is that they're continuing to blur the lines between us working and not working. You know, anyone with a smartphone right now knows this blur. Um, and so I think there's what is really impacting our lives is that we'll have more work. You know, it's not that we are doing work more effectively so we have more free time. We actually are doing work more efficiently so we'll have more work. But with smarter systems, we may end up having fewer employees to do that work. And it will be more humans managing all of that work and maybe the systems really enabling a lot of the complex and repeatable tasks to happen um, kind of in the background behind where the humans engage with it. Um, so that's really interesting. You know, more work, fewer employees, and these lines being blurred in a way that we can already see in a day-to-day, -day, but may become more prevalent um, through large corporations and, and in society at large. Yeah, so fewer people, but really the the premium being put on those people, that it's going to be about the relationships and doing things that are more human. Again, that human-to-human -human interaction, that relationship maybe with a customer, that relationship with a coworker, that possibly, I think in a, in a, if we use all this correctly, you've got all this technology behind doing the repetitive tasks, allowing humans to be more human and putting a higher premium on that. Now, granted, there might be less people, but again, it's again focusing on the human. I think that's a, a really, yeah. really interesting perspective, I really think. So, yeah. Allie, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Really, really appreciate the work that you're doing. Um, certainly in the financial sector, but also in general as, as a future. Thank you. Great to talk. Welcome to the What Matters section of the podcast, where we take the broad futures we just explored and figure out what matters to CHPA members, as well as the corporate housing and longer-term rental industry. As we discussed in the road ahead, we're going to see some changes in the future of the work. We will see a workforce shift, a transition in how we do work and how work gets done. As well, during these times of transitions, we might see the customer base and the client base begin to shift and that relationship begin to shift as well. And then we also touched on how will data and business analytics and artificial intelligence possibly change how your clients work and how you work with them, how those expectations are set. Now on Navigating the Noise, we try to give pragmatic views and solutions. So I wanna be clear, we're not saying that you need to be data experts. We're not saying you need to be technology experts, far from that. But you will need to consider how you will use these technologies and what kind of experience and relationship you wanna have with your clients and customers. And how will this transition in work change how you work? And how is it changing today? So today, we're going to have a roundtable discussion about what different people in the industry are seeing and more importantly, doing to prepare and get out in front of these changes. So let's get started. So as we do on every show in this segment, I'd like to welcome back to the show, Marianne Passy, CEO of CHPA. Marianne, welcome back to the show. And who do you have for us today? Hi, Brian David. Thank you. Hi. Uh, we have two people joining us today, two member uh, companies. We've got Michael Snapkowski. He is the Senior Vice President of Revenue Generation for Bridge Street Global Hospitality. 
where he's been leading their global revenue generation for the past three years. He's bringing uh, more than 25 years in the hospitality business and sharing his perspectives with us today. And his core focus at Bridge Street is leading his team in finding, winning, and keeping valuable clients globally, as well as making it easy for clients to do business with them. We also have Dr. Wei Jen Yi. He's the chief data scientist with Datlytics, and he's a data strategist and data scientist with his extensive experience on how to harness data within an organization for short-term ROI and also long-term growth. He was the former chief scientist of Orbitz Worldwide, and there he oversaw development of the machine learning and data science capabilities for the entire organization. And he also has taught at the Illinois Institute of Technology, where his research focused on search engines and database systems. So we've got a, a uniquely qualified group with us today. Wow, that's that's great, Marianne. Always, always wonderful. Well, Michael and Weijin, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure. Great to be here. Thank you. So let's dive right into it. Michael, we'll start with you. Now, do you know what kind of relationship you want, want to have with your customer and how might that be changing? And also, how would you use technology to help with this, this, this type of relationship? Yeah, so thank you for the great question. So in our business, uh, the customer is at the epicenter of everything. And you know, our ultimate goal um, is to be a, a single solution provider uh, for those uh, in the extended state space, not just from an accommodation standpoint, but also from an experience standpoint. So, you know, our relationship reaches wide and deep, not just at the transactional level, but at the solution level. And, you know, technology and automation these days, uh, you know, finally gives us a closer look uh, at what our valuable customers are looking for and wanting, uh, which has obviously changed over the years and will continue to uh, change over time. So, you know, the data and the technology um, allows us insight into preferences, uh, into um, the type of accommodations, the type of experiences. You know, example is maybe they get to town and uh, they need temporary workspace or they need a car rental or they want food delivery. Um, so, you know, we look at it and, and, and from a data perspective, try and find preferences for the client, not just where they're going to be staying, but the experiences that they want. Gotcha. So having that experience and using data to to enhance that experience that makes that makes good sense. How about how about you, Wei Jen? What how, how what kind of relationship? How do you see your relationship with with customers um, in the future? And how how could technology help to facilitate this? Yeah, I want to uh, second what Michael said. Yeah, we definitely want to know the customer as well as possible. And it's just been like an arms race uh, with uh, all the other lodging providers to really uh, customize uh, the experience for all of the guests that uh, we would service. We want to really get a sense of like uh, what the, the customer journey is actually. So like uh, we want to know when people are making their decisions, uh, what they're interested in, and also when they're willing to make those decisions and what they're willing to pay for what. Technology allows us to do that. Um, this whole area of data science and artificial intelligence uh, clearly allows us to do that. And there's a whole bunch of software and um, systems that have proliferated in this area. Uh, one of the things, however, I'd like to make sure is that it's, um, it, data science, is also an attitude. It's also like um, applying a 
a kind of a, a scientific approach to actually asking questions about customers that we might not have asked in the past. And then just by asking the right set of questions and then seeing what their responses are allows us to paint a really uh, more holistic view of the customer. Yeah, I really like that way, Jen, that data science is a, is a mindset. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very good way of putting it. It's a way of, of thinking and rethinking and, and, and approaching it and also using the expertise, right, the human expertise and then applying it to these other areas and, again, mining that data and getting that data. And let's, let's go a little bit deeper into that, Michael. We'll go, we'll go back to you. You know, how do you think that predictive analytics could help set up corporate housing units better or possibly for less? How, how do you think that predictive analytics could be used to do that? Yeah, so, um, you know, within, within our organization, uh, we have a variety of predictive analytics and data scientists that we, we partner with internally, as well as our, our, our ever-growing uh, supplier community of about 1,000 plus. And, you know, ultimately, what we're trying to find, um, find out and figure out, hopefully in advance, is, um, uh, demand and and demand meaning are there emerging uh, markets within the country uh, that have demand and we'd like to be able to see that demand before it actually happens so that we can actually partner with our supply community in those markets um, to find the appropriate supply for customers uh, and and very often if you're using the data um, to the customer's advantage, you're able to get into these markets quicker, uh, and in many cases, um, before the demand actually comes or before these markets actually get constrained. And there are, you know, there are plenty of examples across the United States where uh, we've been able to get ahead of it. We've been able to buy in low, and 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 hence uh, provide, um, you know, cost avoidance for our valued um, customers. Also, from predictive analytics, our our ultimate goal is also to make it easy for uh, customers to do business with us and our supply partners. So, the the more analytics we have in advance, um, the the more we can use to our advantage, just to make it easy to trade, to to find units, to find appropriate inventory, all different types of extended stay, and then ultimately the predictive analytics also makes it so that we can create a bespoke solution uh, for that particular customer or that client in a particular region. Yeah, Michael, I really think that is one of the things that becomes so important when you start to dig deeper into predictive analytics and data and AI and all these new services that we're talking about is really you know, having a, a laser focus on ROI and knowing that that ROI could be um, in a, in a, on a relationship or it could be, as you said, on a capacity standpoint or um, but it's really interesting. It's always, I'm always glad to hear when people are applying these technologies, but doing it with a, with a really, really specific eye to, okay, what's the, what's the impact? So, Weijen, how about, how about you? How, how do you think you could use predictive analytics to help, up, help set up corporate housing units better or for less? I, again, again, what Michael said, it's all about knowing about demand and the uh, the key thing I want to just add is knowing demand, but also knowing the sensitivity of demand to changes in price and so forth, or changes in marketing campaign is critical. So if we know the elasticity of demand based on different prices, then we could really do revenue management in this particular case. So what um, descriptive statistics would allow us to do is tell us, hey, 
what did we do last year in this particular market? How did it do? And if we apply this data science mindset to say, hey, you know what? Let's increase the price by 10%. How will that change our revenue? Uh, let's decrease it by 10%. How will that change our revenue? And then um, by applying this kind of um, experimental mindset, we could actually gain more knowledge about um, how particular markets uh, behave given um, different uh, stimulation. Uh, the other thing about um, increasing bottom line or top line dollars is if we know when uh, customers are making their decisions and so forth, we could actually target them in a very, um, in the most efficient way possible. For example, if we know people make a decision six months out, six months out, and they're high revenue customers, we could actually spend uh, a certain amount of money to uh, attract those customers and target them directly. Uh, and we wouldn't spend that money on less profitable segments, for example. So all of that requires us having the right set of data uh, available to us. And um, having the right amount of data requires us thinking strategically about what we wanna know and having like a multi-year plan to collect that data. The other thing about data science is that it gives us a framework for us to just improve our descriptions and our predictions as we get more and more data. So we might see like changes in demand and we might not be able to explain it. Uh, for example, we might have a correlating decrease in demand with decrease in price. However, if we start layering other information like what did our competitors do or what weather there was or, or just business conditions, uh, our technologies are our data science, our predictive analytics should improve as we add these data to our models. So I have one final question, real quick, as we as we start to wrap up this segment, and it's a it's a it's a big one, and it's and it's a it's a broad one, but but hopefully you can you can give us a a, a quick quick response, Michael. We'll go back to you. So in in general, how is your company using business intelligence? Yeah, so we we're very much a data driven data-led organization uh, and, and how we lead and manage the business day-to-day -day for ourselves as, as well as our clients. And the way, the way we look at it is, is the where, the when, and the how much. And our clients are, are always looking for um, these three answers. You, you know, where uh, are we staying or where do we need to stay? When uh, are we needing to stay? And, and actually, how much are we paying? So, you know, our business intelligence tool that we've built out provides that insight, uh, whether it be high level or as deep as we'd like to get or our clients would like to get because we actually provide them access to their own BI tool. Uh, so it helps them run their businesses better and provide them insight much quicker. How about you, Wei Jen? Business intelligence, how is, how is your company using that? Very similar to what Michael is saying, we provide uh, data in the format uh, to answer the questions that uh, human decision makers need to make the best possible decisions. And over a large uh, set of dimensions in terms of time, markets, uh, historical, and also uh, predictive. In the predictive case, for example, if we see that uh, certain markets are not performing uh, as we expect, we would raise an alarm and then we would take um, remedial action on those particular cases. But you know, we would generate data um, regularly. We generate data as accurately as possible. We uh, use graphical as well as 
uh, spreadsheet type output, but depending on what uh, the customer needs and how fine-grained the customer needs it. Now, Marianne, I want to bring, bring you into the conversation. I know you spend you know, so much time to traveling around, talking to members, talking to um, adjacent industries and other areas. So in this, in this whole area, what have, what, what, what have you been seeing? Like what, especially with uh, what uh, Michael and Wei-Jen have, have brought to the show today, what are, the, what are some of the observations that you've seen? Well, in my conversations and, and discussions with other members, um, member companies are doing a variety of things to gather business intelligence. And just as we see with our two guests today, it differs from company to company. So I'm hearing from members that they want it, but they're gathering it piecemeal and extrapolating from there to base their business decisions. So our goal as an association is to help members by collecting some more industry-specific data, provide information that's helpful, um, better business intelligence so members can then make better decisions for their companies. We're investing, actually, in CHPA analytics to provide this better data for members to use. Wei Jen is leading the Datalytics team to create a new data platform for CHPA members. Our goal is really uh, better data will lead to better business intelligence, and we will then provide members with the tools to make better decisions for their companies in the future, and also how to remain competitive. It's one of the things when I, when I work with data scientists and I work with folks um, outside of the industry is that it comes up time and time again that in this, in this period that we are with business intelligence and data analytics that not all data is created equal and that the fidelity of the data and how you get the data and the richness of the data um, is as important as how you apply it. And really, I think what I found really interesting, both from Michael and, and Wei-Jen today, was that it's, it is about data and it is about these technologies, but it's also about people, right? It's also about being able to use these, use these very specifically to make business decisions, but also having them fed in to the, um, just the whole way that we do work and how we do work. And that's really the shift that we see coming is that you have these tools, you'll have this data, you'll have this insight and possibly some of these predictive analytics to kind of help you do your work. That's sort of how things change in the future of work. And the, you know, how we do work and who does that work will shift, but even, you know, the tools that we have and what they'll allow you to do will continue to shift as well. Well, definitely, definitely fascinating stuff. Um, Michael and Weijen, thank you both for joining us on Navigating the Noise today. And Marianne Passy, as always, thank you so much. You brought really, really interesting uh, guests on today and a really, really fascinating discussion. So thank you so much. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our third and final segment called Three Things to Do. And here's where we take all of the ideas and all of the conversations that we've had in our previous segments and really wrap them up and really identify what are the three things that you can do today to start preparing for that future. And as we always do, I'm joined by Marianne Passy, the CEO of CHPA. Marianne, welcome. Thank you. Hi, Brian David. All right, let's just get started. So the three things to do. I think the first, my big takeaway, is watch. So we talked about these technologies, data science, predictive analytics, even a little bit of AI. So watch these technologies coming into your clients. And because of that, you can be prepared for this shift in the labor forces we talked about on the show today. You know, this will give you a better sense of, of when you might need to address this new labor force, this new size of a labor force, and also the different needs they might have for housing. Not saying do anything right away, but just watch. But then also, I think, watch internally inside your own organization, you know, how these technologies might change 
how you work and think about how you might be able to automate some of the tasks in your organism. I was just at a meeting uh, last week and a representative from the Global Business Travelers Association recounted something that he had just heard from an economist talking about AI. And the economist was stating that for about $3,000 a month, you could pretty much do away with an inside salesperson and have uh, um, uh, technology take over the customer service aspect of a job. So you would initially spend some time setting it up and then it learns the job and, and it would take the, uh, the calls initially and so that it would free up your staff to do um, something else. Uh, but it's uh, still something that I think our member companies and everyone needs to decide for themselves. If that's the relationship they want to have uh, with their clients, you know, can they take advantage of these cost-effective new technologies or do they still invest in um, the human uh, that will take care of the same customer service aspect for their company? Yeah, I think that's a really topical and pertinent example, Marianne. That's really great because you are seeing more and more seeing artificial intelligence and seeing the big data and the data analytics behind it being able to take over some of these tasks um, and more and more, really only in the past few months, we've seen some announcements from some large tech companies that are talking about that capability. And you're right, it really becomes that choice for to say, all right, it's coming, so when to, uh, when to implement it. And that really takes us to my second thing of the three things to do is explore. Explore what kind of relationship you want to have with your customer. You know, how would you use all these technologies, just as Marianne was saying, like with the customer service or with sales, how would you use these technologies to give you greater insight, you know, pulling from that big data, pulling that for better decision making? But then also flip that over and think about how you could explore in your own organization, how you could value that human to human interaction and relationships. Again, if, if machines can do so much of the work, it puts a premium on being human and that human relationship. So how would you free up people inside of your organization if you decide to do so? How would you free people up and what then would you have them do? That's a good point. We've talked a little bit about that in um, episode one, underscoring again that we need to be more efficient in order to get work done, but we don't want to have that um, any newer technology get in the way of the relationships that um, in many cases have taken years to, to build and foster. Yeah, as with, I think as most uh, home, home uh, business owners would know that the, you know, the most valuable asset is your employee, right? It is you spend a lot of time training, you spend a lot of time working, you spend a lot of building a relationship. I think taking a step back and yes, using these technologies where they can be best used, but then yeah, continuing to value that, that human being. I think, and then, and then finally, the third of the third things to do, which is I think become pretty clear in, in today's um, in today's episode, is that. Get to learn. Learn how predictive analytics can help you set up corporate housing units better or for less. It's certainly big data is here. The use of these things are here. These tools are out there. But you really need to learn. You need to learn how you can figure out the ROI. You know, what, it's, what is it worth? Do you want to invest in this? Do you want to buy it? And then you have to maintain it. Or do you outsource it? Do you lease it? You know, there'll be more and more providers. It's that kind of, you know, build versus buy notion. And they both come with benefits and they both come with costs. And I think it's really figuring out that balance of not if it's going to come, it's when it's going to come into your organization and what is that right balance because all organizations are quite different. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, as an organization, that's something we've struggled with, uh, CHPA as an association supporting member companies. Um, we're also making the move to give members more than just a few statistics on the industry, but rather information to help them feel, fill this need for predictive analytics. Um, so in terms of building or buying that you just mentioned, you know, in the past we struggled with how do we build this information, how can we, how can we collect all this information to give a complete picture of the uh, industry to our members, and what we did was just go outside and buy it, and there are some of those resources available through CHP on the U.S. private accommodations market, as well as the uh, North American Corporate Housing Report, um, but we now have the pieces, so our goal as an association has changed. Our goal is to help our members put those pieces together. So we're looking to really connect this data better to provide insight into what is the real market share of the industry. And then members can take that information and make better decisions for their businesses and to be able to uh, compete in this ever-evolving lodging space. Yeah, so you as, a, as an organization and you, Marianne, as an executive, are actually living this, <laughs> living this right now. I think a really, a really good way to, uh, to, to, to wrap us up. So why don't, you, why don't you take us on out? I'd love to. Thanks. So thank you for listening to today's Navigating the Noise podcast brought to you by CHPA. So please reach out to us and let us know what else you'd like to hear about, what else you'd like to ask BDJ, or to just ask him a question that you think will stump him uh, by stumping the futurist, emailing me at map at chpaonline.org. Please follow us on Twitter at chpaonline or visit our website, www.chpaonline.org forward slash future to um, hear all about uh, BDJ's great research. Thanks, everybody, for joining us here on Navigating Noise, brought to you by CHPA. We'll talk to you again soon.